The Glory Center would like to welcome you to this podcast. We hope that this teaching will encourage and minister to you. And now, the message. Uh, let's get into Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Can, uh, continuing on uh, righteousness uh, and condemnation. Where I tell you, Romans is certainly Paul's masterpiece, you know. Um, just an incredible, incredible portion, you know, of Scripture that absolutely establishes us firmly in the gospel. And, you know, we looked a couple of weeks ago, or a week ago, or, yeah, a week ago maybe, what's that? Uh, in Romans um, 1 and 2, and where Paul says, the gospel reveals, Romans 1, 16, uh, the righteousness of God. And then in verse 18, he says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. So he says the gospel reveals righteousness. And then he's, in other words, the heaven, the created order reveals what he calls wrath there, which is the intrinsic consequences of sin. And he says that, says multiple times that God gave them over. And so that's really what the, the term wrath is. It's giving you over because God respects our freedom and our will and our choices. And so any person is, you know, free to choose. Um, so he looked at that, but he gets to chapter 2, and he says that these people had a knowledge of God and a knowledge of what would happen to them, but that did not motivate them to change. Then he gets to chapter 2, verse 4, and he says, but it's God's goodness that leads men to repentance. So knowing they were sinful, knowing the knowledge of the consequences of their sin could not motivate them or empower them to change. And, and I've said that if threatening people was going to work, it would have worked by now after these 2,000 years, you know. Um, standing on the street corner, repent or else, turn or burn, would have worked by now, you know. Uh, and it hasn't. I don't know if you've noticed. But I have heard somebody, somebody mentioned to me one time something about um, all this sin must be going on in, you know, these Greasy Grace churches. And I told them, yeah, because legalistic churches never have had any sin in them. To date, no. After all this time, there's never been a, a single single sin yet to surface in a good old Pharisee church, you know. But um, maybe we should try something else, like the gospel. The good news that reveals the righteousness of God. You know, I my grandma, who was very much so, you know, mother figure to me, uh, would say to me sometimes, because she, she helped raise us and we stayed with her a lot and stuff like that. And so she would say, Jordy, why don't, why don't you quit, honey? Why don't you change? Why don't you quit those drugs? And, um, and very often I'd say, I, I want to, but I don't know how to. You know? So my knowledge of sin didn't empower the ability to change. You know? But it was God's goodness uh, that does that. So that did that for me. And then we looked at Romans 3, and in Romans 3, verse 8, Paul says that he was being accused of saying, uh, let us sin that good may come, or let us sin that grace may abound. Paul said he was being falsely accused of saying that. And he said, the people that do accuse me of preaching this greasy grace, so to speak, he said, their condemnation is just. So he, sort of like Galatians 1, when he pronounces a curse, on not preaching, you know, when he says in verse 6, I marvel, Galatians 1 verse 6, I marvel that you are so soon removed 
from the grace of Christ to another gospel. And then twice he says, whoever does this, whether a human or an angel from heaven even, let them be accursed, right? And so Paul was very non-compromising. He even went and withstood Peter, Galatians 2, to his very face for compromising the purity of the new covenant and God's grace and trying to intermingle law with grace, right? Um, very familiar verse here. Uh, we're, we are going to start in Romans 4, but just, just a wonderful verse here in John chapter 1. Very familiar. Um, verse 17. It says, For the law was given through Moses. John 1, 17. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came or were realized through Jesus Christ. So the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. So truth is on the side of God's grace. Does that make sense? Um, I have heard people try to separate this and say, well, you got to have grace, but you also got to have truth as if they're two opposing forces. You can't find that in this verse. There's nothing. He's putting grace and truth on the same side, but the opposite side of law. Law is what's on the opposite side here. So I'm not sure how anybody could possibly read that and even begin to, uh, it's just a total imposing that, you know, onto the scripture. So, and then even, look at the next verse, verse 18. No one has seen God at any time except the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. Well, who's that? That's Jesus. He has explained him. Well, what did he come explaining him? Grace and truth. Uh, so back to Romans here. And, you know, we looked at Romans 3, and then near the end of Romans 3, Paul talks of how God put all under the guilt of sin, Jew and Gentile, so that he could have mercy upon all. That is awesome. God found us guilty so he could have mercy. Woo! And, you know, it's really, he knew we were in a bad place. We didn't. So he, he formulated a way to let us know. <laughs> and so the law certainly let us know that, you know. Um, uh, Let's start here in verse 1, Romans 4, 1. Uh, we might skip around a little bit. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. He says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, so he's talking, you know, the book of Romans, the congregation, if you will, are Jew and Gentile. So he's, sometimes you can see where he weaves to like talk. Like in chapter 7, he says, I speak to those who know the law. So like in 7, he pivots specifically to, so he kind of does that, you know, here in this letter. So, according to the flesh, in other words, to the Jewish audience, Romans 4.1, what has Abraham, our father, according to the flesh, what has he found? So, think about that. I mean, there's a lot in that, but, um, and I mentioned last week, even when John says to the religious leaders, he says, you think that because Abraham is your father, that that gives you some sort of special standing with God. He said, God could raise up of these stones children unto himself, which is really incredible statement. So Abraham's natural, which he was the first, if you will, but um, lineage, I guess, doesn't do it, doesn't provide any standing with him before God, you know? So according to the flesh, and in the book of Romans, he, he'll use the phrase in the flesh a lot, and it pretty much generally speaks of a Jew under the law. That's what he, that's what he uses in this. Uh, we'll see that more clearly later. Verse 2. 
For if Abraham was justified by works, he would have something to boast about, but not before God. That's interesting. A lot of times when we threaten people, we'll say, you can fool the church, you can fool your spouse, you can fool uh, whoever, but you can't fool God. Saying if you're doing secretly bad stuff. But right here, it's good stuff, but you can't fool God. It's faith in Jesus. Your good works aren't going to get, aren't going to get a, you know, access us or grant us entrance into the kingdom, or you know, to receive the blessings of God, right? And so it's it's important to settle that. For if Abraham was justified, which is the verb form of righteous, made righteous, he would have something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? That's a good question, generally speaking. <laughs> Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, Abraham, based on his works, was not all that godly. You, th you know what I mean? You think about his wife recommends sleeping with, you know, his wife, who's his half-sister, by the way, recommends another lady. Well, honey, if I must bear that burden, I can imagine he said about something like that, you know. Um, that was some of his works, you know. And then, of course, he lied. But the Lord just told him, I'll bless whoever blesses and curse whoever curses you, Abraham. Not all Israel for all time, but to Abraham. And we see that playing out in Abraham's life. Uh, two different times. Two, you know, kings wanted his wife. And, he, you know, he lies about it. And yet, like, you know, the first time, you know, God comes to that king and says, he's a prophet, let him go. Or, you know, it won't turn out too well for you. So he was a scoundrel, basically. I mean, he wasn't like this exemplar of just pristine godliness and cleanliness. So think about David, you know. We, 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 we disconnect our brains from this, you know, when we read the scriptures sometimes. If you looked at David's performance, he wouldn't, you, you wouldn't invite him to preach in your church. Like, if you were a pastor, you know what I mean? Like, his lifestyle was not some sort of just, you know, great, glorious, holy um, he was messed up in a lot of things. But as it says here with Abraham, he believed God, Genesis 15, 6, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Verse 4, now the one who, to the one who works, his wage is not credited as favor, but what's due to him. But to the one, look at verse 5, man, this is incredible. To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, because that's all he's got to work with, you know. His faith is credited as righteousness. And, and again, to the one who does not work, to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Oh, finally, something I qualified for, you know, the ungodly. Oh, his faith is credited as righteousness. Look at verse 6. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes David here, next two verses. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Woo! 
Hallelujah. Yeah, it is. I, I, used to, I used to hear, and you probably heard it. You got to keep short accounts with God. Honey, the books have been ripped up. They're gone. There are no accounts. 1 Corinthians 13 says love keeps no record of having been wronged. And God is love, John says. So God keeps no record of having been wronged. God is not looking for excuses to hold sin against us. But, you know, it's like we, I think all too often we've been conditioned to think that he is. And that can look like, you know, a lot of different things. Uh, generational curses would be a form of this teaching that God is somehow holding something against you. You know, that type of thing. And you have to uh, go through all sorts of hoops to, it depends who you ask, you know, to get free from that kind of stuff. But blessed is the man who sin the Lord will not. Not just did not in the past, but will not, you know, take into account. And we have a good accountant. Hallelujah. And he's cleared the books. Uh, let's uh, see here. Uh, verse 13. Jump down to verse 13. It says, For the promise to Abraham and to his descendants, uh, pardon me, for the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be the heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And of course, that's as opposed to righteousness of works, right? As he's established there. And I like here also he says that he would be heir of the world. Because that's really, that's, God did not abandon, you know, Adam's, first, you know, Genesis 1, God blessed man, right? Made him in his own image and likeness and gave him authority or dominion on the earth. And, you know, be fruitful, uh, subdue the earth, be fruitful, be multiplied, give you authority over, and he lists kind of, all kinds of stuff there, animals and whatnot, but authority over these things, just over the earth, in other words. So Abraham was an heir of the world. That's, that's good. It, you know, the book of Deuteronomy, God tells the Israelites, in following him, they could have days of heaven on earth. Whew. That's awesome, man. And that, I mean, that's just so clear. As Jesus taught his disciples to pray, that, Abba, may your kingdom come on earth. The kingdom comes here. Many of us have been taught to, we want to evacuate here and go somewhere there to some far off kingdom. But Jesus said at the very beginning of his ministry, repent, metanoia, change your mind. The kingdom is at hand, not three miles south of Mars somewhere. It's at hand. It's close enough to touch, right? Um, so may we all have some heaven on earth instead of just, you know, as Lynn Hyle says, I don't just want to make my home in heaven. I want to make my home a lot more like heaven. You know, the here and now home. So, um, there, there's the sweet by and by, which implies the bitter here and now. <laughs> but how about some sweet, how about a little bit of sweet here and now sometimes? That'd be nice. You know, yeah, we're all, all the time, baby. Let's get down with it. I mean, you know, some heaven on earth. And Paul said later on in Romans uh, 14, he said, the kingdom of God is not food and drink. And boy, there's a lot in there. But, uh, Jewish laws and, and whatnot, and other things. But, but, he said, righteousness. Very first thing he mentioned. Peace and joy. And where is this kingdom? In the Holy Spirit. And where is he at? In us, baby. In God's people collectively and with and in each of us as Abba's individual sons and daughters. Oh, that's awesome. So I think we should always think 
ah, the kingdom's at hand. God's not far away. My healing isn't far away somewhere. My restoration isn't way out there somewhere. It's in the kingdom, which is within me. So faith isn't about, you know, talking God into doing something. It's receiving what he's already done at the cross, right? And so in, in, in my thinking, I, I sort of call that like a finished work perspective, right? Galatians 5, the, the fruit of the Spirit. Well, wh where is Spirit? He's within me, you know? And so that fruit isn't out there somewhere. It comes from within, you know? And so he, Jesus, did, John 15, Galatians 6, uh, 5, Jesus and Paul, they didn't say pray and then go pick fruit, bear fruit. It comes from within. And so when I, you know, for my back all these years is I'm continually believing the Lord. I don't think of it in terms of it's out there somewhere because the kingdom's within. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is present. And so, you know, we approach things from that perspective. Whew, hallelujah. I think, you know, he says the heir of the world. You know, when Moses and the children of Israel left Egypt, they left with much silver and gold and stuff, basically, from the Egyptians. They said, man, we want you out of here so bad, we're going to pay you to leave, basically. <laughs> Not just get out of here and we'll stop bugging you. We'll, for the love, here's our savings, man, go, you know. And, and Abraham, it says, was very rich in cattle, silver, and gold. I, you know, you think when he... Uh, even Melchizedek, when he encountered Melchizedek, uh, Melchizedek said, blessed are you, Abraham. You know, he declared a blessing on him and all that. And then Abraham gave. But he, he called him blessed before he gave, right? And I was taught as a good word of faith charismatic, you, you give first, and then God will finally turn loose that blessing. And I'm not saying there's never moments of faith-based obedience and a blessing on the other side. But I think we, we make that a little more predominant sometimes than it necessarily is, right? Um, even Jesus in Matthew 10, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you've received first, therefore freely give, right? And so, but Abraham received the blessing of Melchizedek, the priest, first, and then he gave him a tenth of all the spoils of war because uh, he was on his way back from, as Hebrews 7 says, slaughtering the kings. <laughs> So, hallelujah. Uh, now, nonetheless, I said it was not through the law. Now, what, he, what he's saying here is not, it, it's, he's sort of lumping it together. It's not through natural lineage, Jew or Gentile, and because who was the law given to? Jewish people. Psalm 147, verses 19 and 20. Uh, he gave his law to Jacob, his statutes to Israel. He has not dealt thusly with any other nation. So, being a descendant of Abraham slash being those who received the law, he kind of puts it all into one. So anyways, so he said that this promise was not to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Verse 14, for if those, notice this, for if those who are of the law are heirs, if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void. I mean, if words mean anything, if those who are of the law are the heirs, then faith is made void and the promise is nullified. So nobody, Jew or Gentile, nobody can say, Lord, my good works are why you have to bless me. And nobody can say, I'm a natural Jew, I'm a natural this, I'm a natural that. That's my claim. No, that's not. That's not our 
That's not how it works. It's the promises, as he teaches here, came through faith. Not through natural lineage, not through law, uh, law keeping. He says, for the law, verse 15, brings about wrath. But where there is no law, there is no violation. Well, good news. We're not under the law, so God's not keeping accounts. There is no violation of the law today because there is no law. It's been done away with. For this reason, it is by faith in order that it may be by grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who's the father of us all, Jew and Gentile. And I think it's helpful to you know, have established these as charismatics, we usually jump right to verse 17 here, where he talks about calling those things that be not, with absolutely no context into it whatsoever. You know, we, we forget there is a Romans 4, 1 through 16. You know, we start in verse 17. So having, you know, laid that foundation, he gets to verse 17. says, as it is written, the father of many nations have I made you. In the presence of him, God, whom he, Abraham, believed, even God, who gives life to the dead, well, thank God for that, and calls into being that which does not exist or calls those things which be not as though they were. Now, this is so beautiful because he says God gives life to the dead. And, I mean, you could look at that as whatever, your health, your finances, relationship, any number of, you know, number of issues. Um, God can give, you know, life. You know, like in Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? I mean, it's nothing for God. You know what I'm saying? And so God can breathe his life uh, into deadness. Um, kind of like with Lazarus. They thought if Jesus, well, if you would have got here on time, you know. Well, I know that in the resurrection, Jesus, I am the resurrection. You know, uh, we can do, we can, I, speci oh, I specialize in giving life to death. You know, that's kind of his thing. But even here where he says he gives life to the dead, and he's talking about Abraham, you, you think a lot of ways about that uh, in all the context because God had to give, you know, life, if you read, you know, the different places about Abraham, but even Sarah. God, it says in Hebrews 11, God had to give her physical strength to be able to conceive and what? Receive life. There was death. God gave life, right? And so that's with Abraham. But then there's Abraham and Isaac. And then, you know, Abraham and Isaac, and he tells his servants, me and the lad will return when, when they went to, you know, sacrifice. And so Abraham had already confessed and declared, we, we, the both of us, me and the lad, it says, will return. So in other words, Abraham's thinking, well, I got to go sacrifice him, but we'll be back because God gives life to the dead. And he's the seed that God promised me. And even if I have to kill him, God will bring him back, you know. And Isaac, you know, carried his Abraham, Ab. You see Ab like in Abba, Abraham. You know, it's father, father of multitude. Father. So you see the father there. Uh, and you see Jesus in Isaac. You know, Isaac carried his own wood. And so Jesus, of course, carried his cross. You see all the, you know, typology in that. And then Abraham's about to let her rip, you know. And then, uh, of course, angel speaks out and says, don't do it. Now the Lord knows you'll obey him and. Um, we, we, you know, all of that. Um, God will provide himself a lamb. The whole story there is beautiful. But the point of all that is, I think that's the faith that God used because God gave man authority on the earth, so God works through mankind. 
And I believe Abraham's faith is what God used. Kind of hard to explain this, but just pretend it makes sense. He used Abraham's faith for Isaac really as mankind's faith for Jesus to be raised. Um, I, don't, I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know how to explain it exactly the way I want to, but, you know, it was type and shadow, but it also had implications for future, right? And so God used Abraham's faith as a mediator, as a man in the earth to create a covenant with, right? And so Jesus came as the true seed of Abraham, Galatians tells us. And so Abraham had faith that God would quicken the dead, give life to the dead, resurrect the dead. Abraham had faith for his seed to be raised from the dead. And who does Galatians say his seed is? Jesus, right? So there's a lot in these verses here. Verse 18, in hope against hope, he believed so that he might be, notice that, in hope against hope, he still believed. Not he felt, but he believed. So that he might become a father of many nations. According to what had been spoken, so will your descendants be. Verse 19, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah. I mean, he was, they were doubly dead. You know what I mean? This is no hope, man. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief. Hallelujah. This reminds me of James chapter 1, where he tells us that the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And, and James says, ask in faith, more, you know, in other words, believing you're going to receive every good gift, every perfect gift comes from him. But James tells them, but, you know, the man who's double-minded, the man who wavers, the man who's, he loves me, he loves me not, maybe he will, maybe he won't, all that kind of stuff. He, James said, don't let that man think he'll receive anything from the Lord. So notice it's not the Lord withholding. The Lord must be offering it. He says, don't, don't let that man think he'll receive because faith is the receiver, if you will. All right? So he says, he did not wa waver in unbelief, but, check this out, this is so good, he grew strong in faith. And I think, yes, I, I'm down with that. I want that. I'm into that. I prefer strong faith, amen, as opposed to weak faith. So how did he do that? Giving glory to God. He worshiped God. And there, there's, if you read Genesis, there's different forms that that took and all that. But just generally, he trusted God. And he gave glory to God, right? Um, in other words, what is giving glory to God? That's worship, right? That's worshiping God. Um, and I mentioned that at the beginning of worship, and I, I, I sort of felt that, um, the importance of that for us in that moment, to be reminded of worshiping God, you know, in your own life, in other words. Um, you know, sometimes it's important for, for us, perhaps often, you know, but sometimes it's better than no times, you know, to turn off as the stomach turns and spend 15 minutes with Jesus. You won't die. You know, Rico and Estelle will still be on as the stomach turns. DVR it. They'll be there. Time spent with God is never wasted time. You know, it's like, it's, you know, well, I only, man, I Jordan, I feel so whatever. I only read the Bible five minutes a day. Flip that and say, man, praise God, I get to read the Bible five minutes a day. You know, don't approach it from a condemnation perspective. 
Um, like Joseph Prince says, if, if you've not been in, the, in God's word, you shouldn't feel condemned. You should feel hungry. I think that's a pretty good way to look at it. Um, but notice that. I mean, that's, I think that's very important. He did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. That's worship. That's at your own house, walking your own floor, thanking God, worshiping the Lord with your own words, you know, out of your own mouth, believing the promises in His Word that He literally, you know, died and raised to give us. You know, am I getting anywhere today? It's quiet as a church mouse, yo, church mice. We're in awe. Hallelujah. Verse 21, and being fully persuaded or fully assured that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Yeah. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be credited. As those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. So if he is raised, according to this, if he is raised, I am, you are justified. He was raised for our justification. Therefore, if I'm not as righteous as I feel, I'm as righteous as he is resurrected. And bless goodness, hallelujah, he is indeed resurrected. So the resurrected Jesus is like the receipt for our righteousness, right? So I don't have to search my feelings if I'm right with God or not. I search a resurrected Jesus. And he's resurrected. He's at Abba's right hand. Therefore, I'm righteous. As 1 John chapter 2, uh, verses 1 and 2 say, John says, I write these things so that you do not sin, but if any man does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, our righteousness. Hallelujah. And then he's, uh, he says that he, First John chapter 2, verse 2, he says, who was the propitiation or the mercy seat for our sins, not ours only, but also the whole world. All right. So I want to look at uh, two more things quickly, and I'll be finished, uh, both in the book of Acts. We're going to begin in Acts chapter 10. Acts uh, 10, and this is, you know, where Peter has his uh, vision and, you know, the incredible encounter he had with the Lord. But uh, getting down later in the chapter here, let's start in verse, uh, well, let's start in verse 38 because most of us know this verse at least. Acts 10, 38 says, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people, to solemnly testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Look at this next verse. Of him, the prophets bear witness, verse 43, 
The prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. As charismatics, you know, I've heard Acts 10.38 a million times, and rightfully so, and I love it, and I read it, speak it, preach it all the time myself. You know, God anointed Jesus, Nazareth, the Holy Spirit and power, went about doing good and healing all the repressed of the devil. But when Peter spoke on forgiveness, that's when the Holy Spirit manifested. While he was still speaking these words, what words? Of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes receives forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon. And fell, right there, is the same uh, Greek word in Luke's gospel on uh, the prodigal son. Whenever the father runs to the son and hugs him. You know, he embraced him or, or he hugged him. Um, kissed his neck, all that. Same Greek here. So this is, this is Abba, the father, hugging, kissing, embracing them in this moment here. Of course, this is the first time, you know, Gentiles had received salvation. And so while Peter was speaking these words about believing in Jesus and receiving the forgiveness of sins, it says that that's when Holy Spirit fell, embraced, hugged uh, Cornelius and his household. Uh, and of course, you know, Peter goes on and says, well, they've received the Holy Spirit. We hear them speaking in tongues, praising God. How could we not baptize them? You know, so in other words, God is clearly validating salvation for Gentiles. So who are we to say otherwise? You know, that kind of a thing. Uh, Acts 13, and we'll be finished. Acts chapter 13. All right, let's uh, let me see where I want to be here. Jump down to verse... Let's start in verse 38 here, but um, I wish we had time, in other words, to back up here, but I'm just going to jump right in the middle of it. Acts 13, verse 38, and then verse 39. It says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Hallelujah. And that sort of harkens to Romans chapter 8, where he says what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his son. Hallelujah. Yeah, Jesus said that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What's that? Right, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I think is important here is just reading the, the book of Acts here. And there's obviously other examples, you know, but just a few here um, is how prevalent the message of forgiveness was, you know. And it wasn't, it wasn't, Paul deals with forgiveness repeatedly, you know, uh, just on Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, just in other words, even in one book there, he starts with it, he's got it in the middle of it, um, it's, it's, it's saturated, yeah, it's all through Romans, I mean, it's just all through the scriptures, and unfortunately, we treat it sometimes like it's a baby doctrine, you know. Um, but I think the fact that we don't, the fact 
I don't think we get it sometimes, and the reason is is because of how condemned most of us are most of the time. And so we need to be reminded of what Jesus' blood has done for us, you know. Um, he really has forgiven us, and so we don't have to, it's not presumptuous, it's not prideful to think, to acknowledge, to believe, to, to declare, I'm forgiven, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. You know, my sin is gone. It died with him. And that's not pride. That's faith. It's humility. Because I can't do anything to get my own forgiveness. It's just total faith in what he's done. The Glory Center would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope that it is encouraged and ministered to you. We also would like to invite you to check out our website at glorycenter.org.